You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, December 16th at 4 o'clock, just after market close here in New York. There is no intro segment today, and I'm joined by Ed Harrison. Ed, thank you so much. Good to talk to you, Max. All right. It's becoming a bit of a tradition for us to talk here on Wednesday. This Wednesday is is a little different than other Wednesdays in that it was a Fed day. However, uneventful a Fed day it was relative to some of the ones we've had more recently. Uh, why don't we start there? I know you want to talk about the bull case for equities a little bit later, but I think it's important just to get this out of the way. Yeah. Uh, and I want to hear what you have to say, because uh, as you're suggesting, it seemed like it was a bit of a nothing burger. I think uh, none of the guidance was really uh, that changed in terms of what the Fed's going to do. They're at zero to zero point two five percent. They're doing eighty billion a month in Treasuries, forty billion a month in MBS, and they're saying that you know this is to provide the liquidity that's necessary to uh, to uh, deal with markets. I don't know what the exact term that they use. You know, they have a phraseology that they use. But I think it's important to recognize that they're still buying $40 billion a, a month of mortgage-backed securities when the housing market is actually doing really well. So to the degree that what they're trying to do is, is help dislocated markets, uh, provide liquidity, it's clear that that's not actually what's happening. Did they ever actually say that they were buying mortgage-backed securities to support the housing market, or is it more about the banking system, obviously, as those are considered you know, good collateral in some cases? Uh, was it about the, the, the housing market or the banking system that they were buying those MBS? Well, I mean, when they originally did QE and they started to do mortgage-backed securities, it was because the market was dislocated. That was back in 2008, because if you remember, MBS were in a world of hurt. And so that was certainly what they were doing then. So when they started QE up here again, they use MBS in the exact same way that they did the first time. But, you know, between March, when markets actually were dislocated in general and today, it's clear that that's not a market where there's any dislocation whatsoever. So really, they're just, uh, you know, big footing that market and creating a, a, a sense of distortion by not giving people a good price signal. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they didn't really change much in terms of policy implementation. I like the end of quarter Fed days a little bit more than the than the intra quarter ones because they give those summary of economic projections that they have. Um, and not a lot of change, but it is at least interesting to look and see. Um, you know, they give the median, they give the central tendency. Those are pretty similar to what they had back in September. I like the the, the range because there, it, although it isn't, you know, the consensus, it is a view that there is some potential that we won't have as much growth as the market seems to be pricing in. In September, the range uh, for 2021 GDP number was between um, zero and five and a half percent growth. We got it slightly up, so a little bit rosier, but still a big range from uh, 0.5 to five and a half. Now, central tendency is 3.7 to 5 percent. So most of the members of the Federal Reserve Board are seeing economic growth for next year. Um, but there is at least 
a few people on the board, or maybe just one who's pulling everything down, uh, who, who don't have as rosy a view as the rest of the board. So I think that's important to remember, especially in context of what we're going to talk about now, uh, which is, is the potential for continuation of this rotation trade and maybe even a rotation of the rotation trade, um, which I think is pricing in the top end of that range, more towards uh, the middle, the central tendency, and potentially even that, that high end of 5.5%. So, right. And, you know, maybe the uh, what the market is saying uh, to the degree that they're pricing in that high end is that the Fed's wrong. Because what is interesting, if you look at that uh, table one in the economic projections, which shows the central tendency that you're talking about and then the medians, and uh, it, it gives you the, the differential between what happened in December and September, the numbers are all going up and are going in the right direction. It's saying that the Fed was too bearish in September relative to their expectations today. So uh, change in real GDP, it was negative 2.4% this year. Uh, uh, now it is, or it was negative 3.7%. Now it's negative 2.4. It's 4.2 for next year instead of four. And it's 3.2 instead of three for 2022. When you look at the unemployment rate, they were saying 7.6% in September uh, for year end, but now they're saying 6.7. They're saying 5% for 2021, whereas they were saying 5.5%. And then for 2022, unemployment 4.2% versus uh, what they originally said was 4.6%. So, I mean, the, the, my read is, is the Fed is saying, actually, you know, the conditions are, are show from a macro perspective that we can bump up the median numbers both for real GDP and unemployment, yet we're doing the exact same thing that we said that we we're going to do before. To me, that shows you that there's a lot of liquidity sloshing around in the market. And so the market's taking this as a sign that uh, the Fed uh, is going to you know, keep its foot onto the accelerator. And that's going to mean that the numbers could be even higher than the Fed is telling us they are. Yeah, one number that we didn't talk about was the inflation projections, uh, at least on Real Vision. And, and even more in, in other uh, media outlets, you're hearing calls for inflation to, to come in 2021. Um, and if you look at what the Fed is saying, uh, the inflation targets have actually basically maintained the same, even uh, – but even still, they're not hitting their 2%, which they actually want to overshoot until 2023 by their own projection. So some people here, at least on Real Vision, calling for uh, inflation to come in 2021. Fed saying, we don't even see it until 2023. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out because many of the rotation trades that people are talking about are related to the potential for inflation to come back uh, in 2021. So that is a bit of disconnect between what the Fed is saying and what the market is saying. Definitely. So, you know, in terms of that uh, rotation trade, I think that let's lay it out from the bullish side. Uh, and the reason I want to do that is because we've talked to some of the uh, some of the bulls recently. I've talked to Kevin Muir, uh, who was relatively bullish, also on inflation, by the way. Uh, Rich Bernstein, he's a bull. And I spoke to Jay Pulaski yesterday, who's also a bull. That interview hasn't gone up yet, but will be up next week. And they all are saying uh, similar things in terms of rotating into things that have been underappreciated and that this is good, what's happening in terms of the vaccine and the economy for nominal GDP disaggregated both into real GDP and inflation. So they see inflation going up, they see nominal GDP 
going up as a result of the real GDP also going up, and they see uh, you wanting to get into the cyclicals, into the value stocks, into the small caps, et cetera. Uh, I think that there, uh, Jay Pulaski, his conversation with me was more nuanced, and that's the, the direction I went ahead in terms of disaggregating how you want to think about this, because it's not just a buy and hold the S&P uh, and you know, buy the dips uh, when the S&P corrects. It's more, there is a rotation, there is some alpha to be had rather than just buying ETFs or bu buying the U.S. index. Yeah, that's interesting. He's not the, again, not the first person to say that, that this is an alpha market, not a beta market. You want to be thinking about security selection. You want to be thinking about quality and, in a, in a sense, relative value, um, which is, is very interesting because you can take relative value down all the way to relative value within the capital structure of an individual company. So, Ed, are, are we getting that nuance? Are we talking about capital structure arbitrage plays here, or is this individual companies within a sector, sectors within a country, different countries? I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can do relative value and think about rotation. Yeah, I think it's all of that uh, for a number of different reasons. And I think the first reason is that even though the premise of the bullish play is that we're going to look through the data, the the reality is is, is that there's a a storm coming. You know, even though you can see the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, there is a lot of darkness right now, and not every company is going to make it through. And some of those are going to be ones that are leveraged up that are in the sectors that you don't want to be in, sectors that actually might have some residual negativity even after we get to the post-vaccine period. So even within those companies, you want there's some potential that you would be at different points in the stack of the capital structure. But uh, the same is true also within a sector that, you know, someone with a small, uh, good balance sheet versus someone with a bad balance sheet. I thought it was interesting, actually, from Jay Pulaski's perspective, to talk about uh, country rotation because he's talking about uh, DM, that is uh, developed markets, uh, ex-US, and moving particularly into Asia. Uh, and you know, if you talk about ex-China uh, for emerging markets for uh, East Asian EM, that's also an interesting play. Uh, here's an interesting stat. Let me just run through some of the 12-month roll-ups yeah. for different indices around the world. So the 12-month the return for the NASDAQ leads the charge of the ones that I've looked at, 43% over a 12-month period for the NASDAQ. And this is you know including the period of going down and then going back up. I'm talking about from uh, December to December, up 43%. So that's pretty huge. Yeah. Then the small cap 2000, which had been lagging, is already the U.S. small cap up 19 percent, whereas the S&P is up 16. The Dow's up seven. You compare that then to what's happening in Europe and what you see is a, a, a flat DAX. You see a CAC 40 in, the, in France that's down 8 percent, a FTSE that's down 13 percent and an IBEX in Spain that's down 16 percent. Euro stocks overall down 7 percent. And then rounding it out, looking at Asia, Thailand as an example, uh, they're down 5%. The Hang Seng's down 5%. But Japan, Nikkei's up 12%. Shanghai's up 13%. And the Kospi in South Korea is up a, a gargantuan 28%. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, but how much of that, though, Ed, is actually sector differences between the indices? Because there's a big difference in the makeup between, say, Spain, overweight, you know, lots of financials, which have not performed well. It's not just, you know, that. There, it, you can't take the index in the U.S. and assume that it has basically the same uh, composition in another country. There's only one Amazon. There's only one Apple. All of those things. But you know, the banking sector tends. Every country has their own banks. Every country has has that sort of thing. And so, is the the difference between country rotation really just a sector rotation play with a little bit of obfuscation because the indices are country based? No, it's not only, but that is a, a very large per percentage of it. I would say perhaps the majority of it. And so per that's where the play is to the degree that you think that you're going to wait towards small cap, you're going to reweight, you're going to rotate into uh, cyclicals, you're going to rotate into growth. Well, you've already gotten 19% from the small cap 2000 in the United States. Uh, whereas in other countries, even the larger cap companies, uh, you haven't gotten that rotation. So as an example, you know, the IBEX 35 heavily weighted towards industrials, towards energy, towards financials. So exactly these these uh, value stocks, these uh, cyclicals that you were talking about. Same thing, uh, uh, you know, for the CAC 40. Uh, go to Asia and what you see, for instance, uh, I spoke to an EM professional today, Josh Ayers, uh, about uh, this. And he was talking to me about the differential between uh, some of these these companies or these countries, Thailand on the one hand, uh, they're not techno technology focused. Whereas if you look at the Kospi, very heavy focus, you know, massive uh, percentage for Samsung. Uh, same thing if you look at uh, Taiwan, you know, yeah. semiconductors. So I think that there is a play there with regard to saying that if you, you one of the reasons I, I looked at the NASDAQ, the small cap 2000, the S&P and the Dow is to say that if you look at the United States, even if you disaggregate those rotations that you're thinking about, all those numbers are up massively relative to other uh, plays in, in Europe. And so then you have to ask yourself, uh, if I'm going to rotate, am I going to continue to rotate in the United States or am I going to do a a um, a country rotation, and I feel like the country rotation actually has more uh, legs to it than the the sector rotation, especially given the fact that we have a, still a very dark period to go through, and there may be some backsliding in terms of uh, overbought, uh, you know, small cap uh, and an overbought uh, rotation trades in the United States. On top of that, you also have a potential uh, tailwind in, in a weak dollar. So we still have not yet to have a, a stimulus come through here. There's a potential as well for with the Georgia runoff still for, for the blue wave, which would be uh, 
indicative of potentially even greater stimulus coming through. And I mean, we're not there yet, but we're at 90 approximately in the dollar. And we've got two trading days left this week. We could see a dollar in the 80s before we talk again next week, Ed. Um, and, and there's still plenty of other catalysts left in the coming year for for more dollar weakness. Um, is that at all factoring into what people are looking at in terms of rotation uh, to EM? Yeah, uh, and, and not just EM, but uh, you know XUSDM. I think that rather than thinking about it from the perspective of uh, you know, let's say that these companies are more valuable and that's better for the U.S. economy. They're looking at it from a pure uh, sort of these are investments that we're making in U.S. dollars and U.S. dollar investments are, are going to be lower because we expect the dollar to be lower. So that is yet more reason to rotate out of the U.S. and to rotate into other uh, places where the currencies are going to be stronger because the, potentially the currency effect will overwhelm some of the, the positive. So when you look at uh, what we're looking at in terms of you know 12-month runoff, when you look at uh, price earnings levels on a re- relative basis, uh, you know, and this is including the fact that there are differentials in what these indices are composed of. And then when you look at the currency risk associated with it, I think that uh, the U.S. markets are looking l- less interesting than other markets. And, you know, I think this is uh, something that Jay Pulaski was talking about. His his thesis is basically that you want to be uh, uh, into you want to go away from the things that have helped, that have worked over the last year. That's large cap technology growth, non-cyclical NUS, and you want to move and rotate into the things that have not run up as much. And so that's going to be XUS first and foremost, small cap value cyclical, uh, and then. Uh, when I say XUS, I'm talking developed markets. But when you talk about EM, you're talking about East Asia EM in particular. Okay. So this is unhedged XUS in terms of currency risk that a lot of these people are talking about. Well, yeah. If, you, if you're if you a global investor, uh, when you're thinking, uh, where am I going to get my returns? You're unhedged in the sense that if you're, if you're invested in a basket of, uh, of stocks and bonds, you know, there's going to be currency risk associated with investing in U.S. Uh, U- U.S. assets, and and the same is true if you're Asian and you're investing in European or U.S. assets, and vice versa, obviously for U.S. people. So yes, the currency is uh, it's it's a consideration. Yeah, and if you just look at what the Fed said, you will get negative real rates here in the U.S. for at least the foreseeable future. Um, and so so Ed. You, though, generally, having having known what you say, we, we focus on the bull case. I think it's worth talking about the risks real quick because this this isn't uh, all said and done, even with, you know, all of the people t- sounding uh, – they're coming at it from different perspectives. But we are hearing this a lot. This is something that that is, is not unique coming from Jay Pulaski, Ayers, and, and whatnot. And so you, though, are the one who who has kind of been sounding the horn the other way. Uh, and saying that there are still risks. So I would like to touch on those just a little bit. Yeah, so I think that you can still say that these, you know, if as you put it earlier in the discussion, you're talking about it relative value-wise. You don't have to have a directional call. You're saying that one thing is better than the other. Uh, and even if you take a market-neutral position, 
uh, you can still benefit from that relative value. But overall, market direction-wise, where the risk lies is in what happens during the so-called insolvency phase. That is, to the degree that uh, companies with poor balance sheets, companies that are in COVID-affected uh, industries uh, are hurt, and also that we have a lack of um, we have a lack of spending that could affect the economy over the medium term enough so that on the backside, once with the vaccine happens and we get the pent up demand from that period, we still have a shortfall that is negatively affecting these companies and their earnings growth. I think what we saw today in the terms of the retail sales numbers, for me, that was a key wake-up call for a lot of people about what happens in terms of these shutdowns and where that could go. And then the question being, you know, what sort of impact that has over the short term that could metastasize into something longer term. So that was a negative 1.1% uh, month over month. Uh, and it was also a, revi a revision down for October uh, to negative 0.1% month over month instead of the 0. Uh, 3% up that was originally reported last month. Uh, I, I sort of looked at the sub-components sub of this, and it's exactly what you would think in terms of the vulnerabilities. And I was looking at it just from a 11-month, a, uh, you know, the entirety of 2020 perspective uh, that we saw in retail sales compared to the entirety of 2019. And here are the numbers, uh, what they look like. Building materials, First 11 months of 2020, 13.4% up on the first 11 months of 2019. Food and beverages up 11.6%. Non-store retailers, you know, I I don't have brick and mortars, up 22.6%. But the, and you know, this is what you're seeing in the markets. That's why you know you see that that outperformance. But then you see food and service uh, drinking places were down. 19.4% uh, year over year, 16.4% uh, for electronics and appliance stores, or, or sorry, for gasoline stations, electronics and appliances were down 14%. And then, you know, a whopping 28.5% for clothing and clothing accessory stores. So let's, let's focus in on retail right there. Commercial real estate, retail, you have a sector down 28%. How do we know, A, that that's not going to continue to be hemorrhaging over the next, say, six months before the vaccine is taken by everyone? And then B, how do we know that behavior hasn't been altered permanently so that, that those num numbers never come back up, even though people are, uh, you know, there's pent up demand and people are ready to go shopping? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting because you can have this, this potential negative and we can look through it, but really that. Being bullish doesn't mean the same thing as it did maybe two or three years ago, where being bullish meant a higher S&P 500 target. And in this case, the bullishness that we're talking about, these people maybe don't even have a higher S&P 500 target. They're bullish on these things. And it seems so foreign because the U.S. outperformance has been so 
so exaggerated and and so absolute um, for for a period of time that you almost forget that you you can be bullish without saying that the S and P five hundred is going to be higher. So it, it's taking some getting used to even in, even to hear those things together. Um, you know, by the way, let me just tell you, in terms of the rotation trade, I personally, I buy into the rotation trade. Uh, this is the, how I would I would put it is that, you, OK, so we have the Moderna and we have the Pfizer vaccines, which are relatively uh, effective, you know, 94 uh, percent. J&J is coming out uh, soon in Europe and also in, in other countries. We know that there is the AstraZeneca vaccine. So, I mean, we're not talking about just one or two vaccines, potentially three, four and five different vaccines that are available to a large number of people in developed markets. And so at some point in time, uh, companies uh, at workplaces, airlines, you know, hotels, they're all going to be saying, show me proof that you have the vaccine. Uh, and when they do, uh, you're going to say to yourself, I, if I want to have the the, the worry free world that all these other people are having because they've taken the vaccine, I need to take the vaccine, too. I really think vaccine adoption is going to be high. And then we're going to get to, you know, so-called herd immunity by a relatively uh, a good time, say mid 2021. And it will be off to the races to a certain degree. So and, and so therefore there is rotation there, but there will be damage done in the interim and things won't be exactly as they were before. And that's where the downside risk resides. And so that's what we, you and I are talking about right now. Okay. Well, Ed, I think that about does it for me in terms of uh, questions I had for you. There was an interesting market anomaly that I wanted to talk about yesterday, which I think is just indicative of, of what uh, is happening in markets. Uh, a stock that has been talked about on Real Vision before, Camping World, the CEO, Marcus Limonis from The Profit, he tweeted about an EV manufacturer, didn't even tweet about his own company, and the stock went up 10%. Well, it gave back 7% today uh, after there, there wasn't any news. There was nothing happening with the company. I don't think there was any major flows. But to me, that is such a great uh, example of what algos can do in the market. Um, and I just thought it was a, a very interesting thing. It, this is a bit of conjecture on my part. But having known that there was no news and, and seeing a price movement like that, it, it just really struck me as like that's the perfect encapsulation of what algo trading can do in a market. Um, and I, I wanted to bring it up here for, for viewers to go take a look and look at that price action. If you're ever trying to wonder, like, what does uh, algo trades driving the market, like, what does it look like? That, to me, is the encapsulation. So that was the only thing I wanted to talk about today. You know, there was one other thing that I wanted to talk about, actually, uh, uh, at random. I was just looking right before we came on at Wish. Uh, I don't know if you saw that Wish Shopping. Mm -hmm. uh, they did an IPO today. Uh, so it was like, the uh, you know, we had Airbnb uh, that did really well. We had DoorDash that went really well. They were up like 100 percent, 89 percent. Wish was down today. I think that the IPO busted. Uh, it was down, you know, 20 percent, something of that order. Uh, very interesting. Uh, you you look like you didn't hear about this. So maybe we can get something in the comments if anyone has anything to say about that. But I think that there are there's a lot of IPO activity going on uh, along with what you're talking about, Max. It, it it does say that, you know, there's something going on in terms of the zeitgeist right now. Um, I, I think that we're at a pivotal time. It's interesting to see, you know, uh, where sentiment is headed. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there, this has certainly been a narrative-driven market, and, and you have to be paying attention to when the narratives have shifted. And in terms of those IPOs, I mean, there was significant noise around perhaps the frothiness surrounding them. And and if you get enough noise about that type of stuff, the narrative can shift. And and perhaps Airbnb, Airbnb and DoorDash uh, just happened to, to, to get in before the narrative shifted and perhaps themselves were the cause of that narrative shift. So in a narrative-driven market, you have to uh, keep your ear to the ground. All right. I think uh, maybe we'll leave it at, at that for today. It was great to talk to you as usual. All right. Yeah, lots of fun, Ed. Look forward to do it again soon. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.